This morning we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 12, verse 49 to 53. Jesus came to throw fire on the earth. Jesus came to throw fire on the earth. If nothing else, this morning's passage of scripture ought to dispel any thoughts that people might have, including more than a few Christians, I would guess, that the Lord Jesus Christ came to give peace on earth. I don't know if that's what you imagine. Jesus came to give peace on earth. Even before we look at our passage in any detail, just glance over at verse 51 in Luke 12. Look at verse 51 there. Jesus says, Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth, I tell you, nay, but rather division. That verse couldn't be any clearer, could it? So, if you're waiting for this present world to be at peace, forget it. It ain't going to happen. In Noah's time, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. God didn't bring peace upon the world's population back then, that's for sure. In fact, he brought a flood and the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. By the grace of God, Noah and his family were spared, but that's it. Eight people were spared. God's God shut them in the ark that Noah had been instructed by God to make. As for everyone else in the world that was filled with violence, that was corrupt, they all perished. The thing is that nothing has changed. There's no reason to imagine that there will be a golden age of peace in our time, or for that matter, at any time before the Lord Jesus Christ comes again in judgment. Ever since sin entered the world by one man, Adam, and death by sin, this has been a world in which people have been and still are in continual rebellion against their maker, almighty God. And that rebellion is being led by the world's leaders. If ever you were in any doubt of that, listen to what David said in Psalm 2, Verses 2 and 3. David said, The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his Christ, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. This is a world in rebellion against its maker. Why should we imagine that there will be peace in our time in such a world. If you imagine that, you're in cloud cuckoo land. 
First of all, we can consider Jesus came to send fire. Not peace, but fire. Look at verse 49 and 50. I am come to send fire on the earth. And what will I if it be already kindled? But I have a baptism to be baptised with. And how am I straightened till it be accomplished? The word that has been translated send means cast or throw or scatter. Therefore Jesus came to throw, to scatter fire on the earth. As to what that fire is all about, although it may sound very apocalyptic, throwing fire on the earth, it's not a reference to the end of the age, when the earth and the works that are therein shall be burnt up. That is not what Jesus was talking about. The fire refers to the gospel, the preaching of Jesus Christ and him crucified. That fire has been thrown and scattered by Jesus across the earth ever since his sacrificial death at the the cross, which he describes as a baptism. We see it there in verse 50. I have a baptism to be baptised with. And how am I straightened till it be accomplished? Jesus was speaking about his sacrificial death at the cross. And he referred to it as a baptism. As the Bible commentator John Gill explained, the baptism of his sufferings is meant, which are compared to a baptism, because of the largeness and abundance of them. He was, as it were, immersed or plunged into them. Have you ever thought of a baptism in that way before? Jesus being nailed to a cross and lifted up to die, bearing away sin. Secondly, we can consider baptism and death. The sacrificial death at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he describes as a baptism, also has an important application for all who are in him, having trusted in him as repentant sinners. I was saying earlier that uh, what we don't want is for our coming here and looking at the word of God just to be some academic exercise. More than that, we're going to see some application, big application here for us who are in Christ In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, the Apostle Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. What on earth is he talking about? Paul saying he's crucified with Christ. He goes on to say, And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul, crucified in Christ, yet he lives, yet not I, not he, but Christ liveth in him. And he lives a born-again life by faith of the Son of God who loved him 
and gave himself for him. As to when Paul, or for that matter, any of you dear Christians, were crucified with Christ, the answer to that one is given in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, where Paul said, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptised into Jesus Christ were baptised into his death. Are you getting a connection here? Baptism and death again. Whether it's the baptism and death of Jesus or us. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For... If we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, that speaks of being crucified with Christ, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. You'd have to read that for yourself several times perhaps, but it really is saying something. We are crucified with Christ. Christ called his crucifixion a baptism. And the Apostle Paul is saying that when we are baptised, we die with Christ. We're buried with Christ. And we're raised up to newness of life in Jesus Christ. That the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. What are we supposed to do then? And the answer is to live born again lives for the glory of God. Old things having passed away, behold, all things becoming new. My understanding of those verses is that the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross, not only resulted in all your sins, dear Christian, being forgiven, but also his death was efficacious or effective to destroy in each one of you the old man or the old self, which was governed by sin. That's not to say that you don't sin anymore. You still have that the sin springing up in you. I do and I know you do as well. We all do, we will do, as long as we're in this world, unless you have reached sinless perfection. If you have, then congratulations. And now you are raised up to newness of life as new creatures in Christ Jesus, your Saviour. Therefore, Paul connects the reality of what the Lord Jesus Christ achieved 2,000 years ago at the cross, which Jesus calls a baptism, and also his triumphal resurrection, and he connects that to your baptism, where you were buried with Christ into death and raised up again to newness of life in him. As Paul said in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26 and 27, For ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptised into Christ have put on Christ. It's the same thing. He's talking about the same thing there. He's connecting that baptism of Jesus at Calvary with our baptism. 
when we're crucified with Christ and raised up to newness of life in Jesus. That begs the question though, what does it mean for those of you who have not been baptised into Christ? If you understand anything about the baptism of Jesus, I'm not talking about in the River Jordan when the Holy Spirit descended upon him as a dove and when the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Not that baptism. I'm talking about the baptism at the cross and how that is connected with your baptism. But then I'm putting a negative uh, question to you now. What does that mean for you who have not been baptised into Christ? Again, Paul said in Galatians chapter 3 verse 26 and 27. For ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptised into Christ have put on Christ. I'll ask the question one more time. What does that mean for those of you who have not been baptised into Christ? What saith the scripture? What does the Bible tell us? Well, the Bible couldn't be clearer. He that believeth and is baptised shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Mark 16 verse 16. If you don't believe, then baptism's a waste of time anyway. You look at the first part of that verse. He that believeth and, and is baptised shall be saved. Something for you to consider. And consider very carefully and consider very seriously. If you have not yet been baptised into Christ having repented of your sins and trusted in him thirdly Jesus came to bring division look at verses 51 through to 53 suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth I tell you nay but rather division for from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son and the son against the father, the mother against the daughter, the daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against the daughter-in-law, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. There's a full stop there, but I can't help thinking the Lord Jesus Christ could have continued. But you get the picture there. A lot of division within households. <clears throat> Back in July, chapter, uh, July last year, 2022, we were looking at verses in Luke chapter 2. It seems a long time ago now we were looking at Luke chapter 2. Verses which tell us about shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night and the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. 
Therefore, before the virgin birth, peace towards men on earth was being announced by the angels in chapter 2. But now in chapter 12, Jesus appears to be saying something very different when he says in verse 51, Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth? I tell you nay, but rather division. And I've already said, I don't believe for one moment there is going to be peace in our time. Not in a world which is in rebellion against God. In similar verses in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says, I came not to send peace, but a sword. In Luke, he says that he's come to send division. In Matthew, a sword. As such, the gospel of Christ is a sword that divides and it separates people. That's precisely what the preaching of the cross does. It divides and it separates the whole world. Jews and Gentiles alike. To quote Paul yet again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 he said... The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block. And unto the Greeks foolishness. The Jews were looking for a Messiah who would be an earthly king and deliverer. Not one who would be crowned with thorns and lifted up to die on a cross. That's not what they were looking for. As for the Greeks, the whole idea that salvation from sin and everlasting life should come through the death of one man and that people can be made rich through Jesus making himself poor and again laying down his life on a cross. That was foolishness to them. As far as they were concerned, it was silly. It was absurd. Even so, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believed. The gospel of Christ is divisive because it drives a wedge between people who have been baptised in Christ, having been brought to repentance and saving faith in him, and the world at large, which is dead in trespasses and sins, and is hostile towards any mention of Jesus Christ and him crucified for sinners. And I can remember so clearly when I lived in India for five years, a Hindu country, when Hindus (coughs) repented and trusted in Jesus, the Hindu people thought nothing much of it. When those people that trusted in Jesus were baptised, that was a different story altogether. That was when they were hated by those who were their family, their friends, their work colleagues. They were then hated when they went through the waters of baptism. Identifying with Jesus Christ, crucified with Christ, Raised up to newness of life in Jesus. Something that they could see and they hated it. They hated them, the people who were baptised. 
But the gospel of Christ is divisive. It drives a wedge between those who are baptised in Christ and those who are not. A sure way of not being popular and not winning friends at work or at school or perhaps at your sports club or wherever else, you Christians mingle with the unbelieving world. A sure way of not being popular is to strike up or try to strike up a conversation about Jesus and him crucified for sinners. Have you done that? I should imagine that that's why so many Christians are silent about their faith in the workplace. Because they know that it's not only a conversation killer, but they're going to be really unpopular with their workmates if they start talking about those things. People say we mustn't talk about two things, religion and politics. But most of all, It's talking about Christ and him crucified that people do not want to hear about. In verses 52 and 53, Jesus gives examples of just how divisive the gospel is with a sword being driven through families and dividing them asunder. Look at verses 52, 53. For, for from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two, two against three. Fathers shall be divided against the son and the son against the father, <coughs> the mother against the daughter, the daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against the daughter-in-law and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. This is what Jesus says. I think we got our certain friends within the the, Christ, the church who try to see a way around this. Just baptize all the, all your children when they're still infants, but it doesn't work. Doesn't work. Again, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. No point baptizing an unbelieving infant. And we see in these verses the division within families because of the gospel of Christ. These verses certainly do not justify the practice of some professing Christians. I say professing Christians, I'm mainly speaking about people who belong to cults and who intentionally cut themselves off from the world and even cast out their own unbelieving children. Christians are to be salt and light in this dark world of sin. And surely the primary responsibility of Christian parents is to their offspring, whether their children believe or not. They don't cast them out. They love them and look after them and seek opportunities to 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 speak about Jesus, as divisive as that is. That said, the fact remains that the gospel of Christ is extremely divisive. Even and especially within families where there are one or more members of a family who are Christians and those Christians live under the same roof as others who are not Christians. 
even if and when faith in Jesus is not even discussed, there will be inevit- there will inevitably be a clash of worldviews, and there will be tensions and disagreements, even over what to watch on the television. It's going to be arguments over what's what's decent and what's not appropriate to watch on television. As well as many other things, with the Christians seeking to live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world, whilst the others have no such concerns. And it doesn't necessarily, I'm not just talking about Christian parents and unbelieving children, it could be the other way round. An unbelieving family and then one of the children, by the grace of God, becomes a Christian. That will create tensions. And then the child says to mum and dad, I want to be baptised. Woof. You know, explosive. Jesus came to drive a wedge between families. Also, many churches avoid preaching Christ and him crucified for sinners for fear of being divisive. So many churches do that. No mention of the cross of Christ. Those so-called churches are places where the primary interest is to get as many people through the doors as possible, through the delivery of entertainment and feel-good messages to unforgiven sinners who are on their way to hell. That, of course, is utterly wrong and it is unacceptable. The law of God ought to be proclaimed by faithful preachers in order to induce godly sorrow and repentance towards God. People need to hear that they are hell-deserving sinners. And I'm sorry if they... Well, I'm not sorry if it upsets you. This is what you need to hear. I need to hear that. That I deserve nothing good from God. At all. Also, the gospel of Christ ought to be preached as divisive as it is to sinners and to saints alike. In other words, to those who are not trusting in Christ and to those who are. We all need to hear the gospel. God's laws hang on two great commandments. The first and great commandment is... Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. The second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. The reality is that ever since the very first sin was committed in the Garden of Eden, no one has ever kept God's commandments. Not one of you loves God with your entire being. Don't tell me that you have. Because you will be lying. And that is a sin as well. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Not one of you loves your neighbour as yourself. That doesn't mean you have to fall in love with yourself. It means treating people how you would want to be treated. We don't do that. We're all sinners. The Apostle Paul made it very clear that we're all in rebellion against God. There is none righteous, he said. No, not one. 
There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They have all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. What you must not do is vainly imagine that you have kept God's laws, especially when you hear something like that. You haven't kept God's laws, even if your feet have not quite literally been swift to shed blood. And even if you're a Christian and you'd say, well, I don't do those things, not now anyway, not by the grace of God. I'm different now. I am a new creature in Christ. I grant you that. But the fact of the matter is that the seed of every known sin abides in our hearts. A heart that the Bible describes as being deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Only the sinless saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, has fully kept God's laws. When he came into this dark world of sin, it was his food to do the will of his father who sent him. And he became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross, where the, where he paid the price for the sins of all who trust in him. All who trust in him. All that the Father gives to me shall come to me. And I shall in no wise cast them out. No man can come to me except my Father draw him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus laid down his life for such people when he became obedient throughout his life. And then in death, he laid down his life as a sacrifice for their sins. And that, dear friends, is the gospel. It is the very best news ever. It's wonderful news. I've said it's a fire. I've said it's divisive. But it is the best news that you will ever hear. And that is because Jesus has made peace through the blood of his cross. That's what the angels were talking about. Peace and goodwill, the angels said. Peace on all whom the favour of God rests. But not in this world as a whole. We see that ourselves. Anyone, any casual observer of what is going on in this world will see that this is not a world at peace. But Jesus has made peace through the blood of his cross. A Christian is someone who being saved and justified by faith in Jesus is reconciled to God. So much so that he now addresses and knows God as his father in heaven. That's wonderful, isn't it? To know God as your father, to address him as father, to know that your father in heaven hears your prayers.
The child of God has a peace that passes understanding and it is a peace that endures today, tomorrow and forevermore. The same Jesus who sends division and the sword on the earth gives that peace to all who have been washed in his precious blood and clothed in his righteousness. Can you see that even though the gospel of Christ, which tells us about Jesus laying down his life for helpless and hopeless sinners, is divisive, even within households. It is also the power of God unto salvation, and it is food for weary souls. It's what everyone needs to hear, including Christians, when they come to church. And with that in mind, as well as giving baptism as a means of grace, Jesus has also given his church the Lord's Supper, which is a service during which time baptised believers enjoy sweet communion with him as they eat bread in remembrance of his broken body and they drink wine in remembrance of his precious blood that was shed at the cross. In other words, the communion service is a time of focusing on Jesus Christ and his gospel. We have such a service here every Sunday at 10.15am for the Lord's people, for people who have believed and been baptised in Christ. And it's a time where the focus is entirely fixed on Jesus Christ and his baptism at the cross. Love to see you there. Love to see all of you who are baptised in Christ and have put on Christ at that service. I really would. Last of all, hopefully, I've made it clear that the five in verse 49 refers to the gospel, the preaching of Jesus Christ and him crucified. But also consider this. Fire, it's not in this passage, but fire speaks of judgment. It speaks of the judgment of a holy and righteous God. Jesus satisfied God's justice when the iniquity of all that he came to save was laid upon him at the cross. God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we who are trusting in Jesus might be made the righteousness of God in him. And we stand before God washed in the blood of Jesus and adorned in garments of salvation and in a robe of righteousness. Accepted in Jesus before God, in love. And that fire speaks of the wrath of God that was propitiated or appeased when Jesus was wounded for the transgressions and bruised for the iniquities of all who repent and believe the gospel. The wrath of God abides on people who reject Jesus. And the Lord Jesus Christ, he appeased the wrath of God at the cross. Therefore, repent and believe the gospel and be baptised. Amen.
Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.